Well, this, uh, we're coming actually to the end of Hebrews, and um, this is in uh, chapter 13. You know, it's very interesting because people don't realize that I spent um, 15, 16 years as a pastor. I also studied in Bible college. Uh, I had to do five years, actually, in order to get ordained. I do have a background of serious study of Scripture, but um, people have generally more associated me with evangelism, which has been my main theme right throughout, because although, as you many of you know about with my story, that um, I was asked while I was in Bible college, I was asked to pastor a church when I was 18, and uh, within two months was evangelizing in a tent, because to me, that was a major part of pastoral work. Anyway, what I'm really trying to tell you is that there is a great deal of importance at the moment on the authority and power of the Word of God. In fact, when I was witnessing at school, I was witnessing mainly on the authority and the accuracy and the dependability of the Word of God, because Paul says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for rebuke and for comfort and for strength, but it's the fact that it's given by inspiration of God. And we are facing a major crisis, actually, today in the church where the established church is being divided. It, it, it's splitting into those who want to uphold the accuracy and the truth of Scripture and obedience to it, and those who want to modernize and to simply accommodate culture. But you can't. You can't. You can't have it both ways. Um, the Scripture is absolutely clear. If you read Revelation, that in the book of Revelation, John is saying very, very clearly that if you add anything into Scripture, uh, all of the plagues of the Scripture are added into your life. If you take away from anything in Scripture, your name is taken out of the book of life. You read it, he's very clear. You cannot play the Scripture, you cannot change it either, you have to be what we used to call in the old days the fundamentalist, which is to accept the accuracy of the Scripture, or you have to become what we also used to call a modernist, which wants to adapt Scripture to culture. I'm sorry, but I make no question. I'm a fundamentalist. I believe the authority of Scripture and I believe that we have to get back to this in the church, because without it, there is no salvation. Now, why am I talking like this? I'm talking like this because those of you who know me know that I am teaching a lot on Scripture and have written a number of books on this, and also I'm doing a lot of preaching on it. And particularly, I feel I need to mention this in Hebrews, because as we look at chapter 13, what we see is 
Paul is really concluding what he has said previously. In fact, he starts off, let brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers because thereby some entertain angels. By the way, that's important. Uh, he says in verse 3, remember those that are in bondage, those that are in prison. He speaks then about the authority of Scripture even with regard to marriage. Um, in verse 5, he's saying, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with what you have, simply because God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in verse 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, let me pause there because what I really want to reflect on is the importance of the book of Hebrews. Remember, Paul is writing to Jewish people. And as we've gone through it, and when I look back and summarize it, what Paul is needing to do in this book, in this letter, because after all it was a letter, is to explain to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the difference between their old traditions, he brings the likenesses and the differences, between the old traditions which prevailed from the time of Moses right up until the time of Christ, but which were abolished and replaced with the New Testament, the New Covenant. In the old, um, and you can see this, it's referred to in chapter 13, particularly um, where he's saying uh, in verse 9, don't be carried about with divers and strange doctrines and so on. Um, but, and, and I shall deal with that in, in a few minutes. But let me say the point that I'm trying to make is that in the book of Hebrews, what I can sense very strongly is, yes, for me, reading it, I see it as uh, a, a letter written on faith because the, the, the most famous faith chapter in the whole of the Bible is Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But at the same time, what Paul is doing is showing the contrast between the legalism of the Old Testament and the fact that when you come into the New Testament, salvation is a different way. Salvation is by faith in the atonement of Christ and that salvation is only because Christ has died. And the Bible makes it quite clear that Adam came, the first Adam, and he sinned against God, and sin ruled the world. And 2,000 years later, Jesus came, and when Jesus, sorry, it's more than 2,000, of course, 4,000 from uh, the beginning, but 2,000 years uh, uh, since the time of Moses, that uh, Jesus came in order as the second Adam he might fulfill the law. So in other words, all the laws of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. 
and we no longer have salvation through the laws of the Old Testament, but through faith. Now, if you read through this, this Hebrews, and looking back on it, he makes so many references to it, because, I mean, in chapter 11, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by good report, um, by the word of God. Uh, the elders obtained a good report. By faith, Abel offered sacrifice, and so on. And verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith still runs through the whole of the Old Testament, but in a different way, because the Old Testament was only a picture of what was to come in Christ. And I want you to understand this, because while Jesus here is speaking to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people, this does apply to us today. Because when I examine a lot of traditional church, formal church, a traditional church, so much of it is actually based on the Old Testament. Uh, when you read about altars and sacrifices and ceremonies and rituals, that is not the New Testament. The New Testament is a life by faith because Christ has fulfilled the law of the Old Testament. Now, let me pause on that for a moment, and let me come back to Hebrews chapter 13, where we come to verse 7, where it says, remember those that have the rule over you. Now, if you read this carefully, and I've read it several times, remember those who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. So it's absolutely clear, although some of the more modern translations don't make this clear, that when it says those that have the rule over you, these are your spiritual leaders, not your political leaders. Because it says, remember those who have spoken the word of God to you. Follow their faith. Then he says something in verse 8, which I find is quite interesting as parenthesis here. He says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because literally, if you look at Jesus Christ, the Bible describes him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So that although he only made his sacrifice 2,000 years ago, right from the beginning, right from the beginning, even with the contrast between Cain and Abel. Abel was the one who made the acceptable sacrifice and was a type, a picture of Christ who would follow. That's why Cain was condemned, because he didn't make that sacrifice. And then he says in verse 9, don't be carried about with strange doctrines uh, because it's a good thing that you're established with grace, not with meats. 
which had not profited them, they would have been occupied. And here, um, the revised version actually does make it even clearer when it's saying that um, we should not be judged in what we eat because the food we eat may be ceremonial, yes, but it does not bring salvation. Salvation is not in the ceremony. Salvation is only in faith in Christ. And he says in verse 10, we have an altar where they have no right to eat which serves the tabernacle. That is our own direct relationship with God through Christ. In verse 11, he says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, the bodies are burned without the camp. So therefore, Jesus also, so that he might sanctify the people, suffered with his own blood, but suffered outside the city wall. And that's significant. He suffered outside the city. And verse 13, let us go therefore unto him outside the camp. What's being referred to as the city, as the camp? I can only see is a reference to simply organized religion, that we have to go outside of that to find Christ. And yes, in verse 14, it puts in a slightly different context here. We have no continuing city. We seek one to come. He's jumping to something else. He's talking about the second coming of Christ, that our habitation, our life is not here. We are citizens not of the earthly kingdoms, but of the heavenly kingdom, and must remember this when we look at the political situation. And then in verse 15, by him, that is through Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. So here, this is not talking about our making a fresh sacrifice, which we don't need to do. We don't need the altar in this sense. Uh, Paul does refer to it in Romans in a different sense, where he's talking about personal sacrifice, but not that we need to come back to an altar, although to many churches, the altar is the focal point. It is not. The altar is where we come to bring our praise and worship. Let us come to offer the sacrifice of praise. That's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So the sacrifice that God wants is not altars. It is worship and praise. And uh, then he goes on just simply to confirm and say, be good and to communicate, don't forget this, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And in verse 17, this is uh, a reference back to the previous verse in 7, where it says, remember those that have the rule over you, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as that they must give an account. This is not political. This is spiritual. Obey those that rule over you spiritually. Submit yourselves to those who watch for your soul, because they, that is the Christian leadership, must give an account 
for the ones that they shepherd. The spiritual leadership, the shepherd, the people are the flock. And spiritual leadership in the church has an answerable responsibility and must give an account before God that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So you understand that Paul here is summing up so much. I mean, if you move on into James, as we will do uh, sometime later, James uh, again brings up faith because in the first chapter he's saying, um, uh, if any of you lack wisdom, this is chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind. And in verse 7, don't let think, don't think that that man will receive anything from the Lord. So you cannot get away from faith, and we should be coming back into faith. But the point that I'm making is that Paul's main emphasis appears to be in writing to the Hebrew Christians to emphasize that the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. And Christ became the final sacrifice. Whereas under the Old Testament, the priest had to enter into the high place and make a sin offering, which was the lamb. And he had to shed the blood because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If you're going to raise up altars today in your church, if you're going to go back into altars and candles and formality, then I would suggest that you need to make sacrifices. But Paul is saying, absolutely no. Christ is the final sacrifice. He fulfilled all the legal obligations of the law. And while the Jewish people, and I mean, uh, earlier in Hebrews, it, it, it's so full of it, is um, that uh, don't uh, hold fast the profession of your faith by faith, he says. Then he lists all the acts of faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and the rest of them, and uh, Moses choosing to suffer the affliction with the people of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Israel by faith passed through the Red Sea and so on. And then goes on in verse 33, who's the, these people, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets through faith subdued kingdoms, and so on. But all of this was fulfilled in Christ. Christ came as the fulfillment of all the law and all the struggles that you even see with Israel were fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came, he suffered, he paid the price of sin, he died and our faith is in the completed work of Christ. It's done. 
And uh, Paul sums it up when he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All the old things are passed away and all has become new. And we've got to see that this is the real faith of the New Testament. And the danger is that by introducing religious observances and customs and ceremonies and so on, all you're doing is going back into the Old Testament where they had to keep the law. Man was saved by the law. And Paul sums it up when he says, very simply, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So we needed the law to reveal our sin. We needed the law to reveal our frailty. We needed the law to see that we were born into sin. But when Christ died in our place, he died that we might be born again and live in him the new life. Oh, this is why it's so important to follow the scripture. Salvation is based on obedience to the word of God, not the traditions of men. And so as we come to the end of this chapter, this 13th chapter, Paul says, yes, he says, obey those that have the rule over you because they have the responsibility. He says in verse 18, pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience, that we've lived honestly according to the scripture. But he also, in 19, begins to speak very personally because he's saying, I beseech you that pray for this, that I may be restored to you and not die in the prison. And then the God of peace that brought again Jesus, our Lord from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the covenant, the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, according to that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he finally says, I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I've written a few words in this letter. And then he says on a personal basis, I want to tell you that Brother Timothy has been set free, and if he comes to you shortly, I hope to see you. What a final greeting from Paul. Salute all them that have the rule over you and to all the saints. And then because of his writing from prison in Rome, they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So this was actually written probably by Timothy on behalf of Paul, but representing the words of Paul in prison in Rome. And he simply says, salute all that have the rule over you and together with all the saints. And I want to send you Dearly beloved, greetings in the name of the Lord from all the saints and just encourage you to be faithful to the word. And you know, 
We need to pray so much at the moment because the fact that as I speak to you, the church in Britain and in many other places so divided over the authority of the Bible. And let me say that the only authority in the church is the word of God. Let us uphold that. Let us obey it and know that salvation is not by ceremonies and by confessions. Salvation is by faith that Christ came to do what the first Adam failed to do. And Christ came in order that he might destroy the works of the enemy and that in him we might have a perfect salvation and not only a salvation, but a freedom from the law. Because by faith, Christ himself fulfilled the law. Father, I just pray that with all that's going on in the church, that through the Holy Spirit, you will direct Christians back to the absolute authority of Scripture in their lives and in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop. <laughs> 